Book One, Chapter Two of Camilla. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christine Blashford. Camilla, or A Picture of Youth by Fanny Burney. Chapter Two. Delighted with this acquisition to his household, Sir Hugh again revived. My dear brother and sister, he cried, when next the family visited Cleves, this proves the most fortunate step I have ever taken since I was born. Camilla's a little jewel. She jumps and skips about till she makes my eyes ache with looking after her, for fear of her breaking her neck. I must keep a sharp watch, or she'll put poor Indiana's nose quite out of joint, which God forbid. However, she's the life of us all, for I'm sorry to say it, but I think, my dear brother, poor Indiana promises to turn out rather dull. The sprightly little girl, thus possessed of the heart, soon guided the will of her uncle. He could refuse nothing to her endearing entreaty, and felt every indulgence repaid by the enchantment of her gaiety. Indiana, his first idol, lost her power to please him, though no essential kindness was abated in his conduct. He still acknowledged that her beauty was the most complete, but he found in Camilla a variety that was captivation. Her form and her mind were of equal elasticity. Her playful countenance rekindled his spirits, the cheerfulness of her animated voice awakened him to its own joy. He doted upon detaining her by his side, or delighted to gratify her if she wished to be absent. She exhilarated him with pleasure, she supplied him with ideas, and from the morning's first dawn to the evening's latest close, his eye followed her light-springing figure, or his ear vibrated with her sportive sounds, catching, as it listened, in successive rotation, the spontaneous laugh, the unconscious bound, the genuine glee of childhood's fearless happiness, uncurbed by severity, untamed by misfortune. This ascendance was soon pointed out by the servants to Indiana, who sometimes showed her resentment in unexplained and pouting sullenness, and at others let all pass unnoticed, with unreflecting forgetfulness. But her mind was soon empoisoned with a jealousy of more permanent seriousness. In less than a month after the residence of Camilla at Cleves, Sir Hugh took the resolution of making her his heiress. Even Mr. Tyrold, notwithstanding his fondness for Camilla, remonstrated against a partiality so injurious to his nephew and niece, as well as to the rest of his family. And Mrs. Tyrold, though her secret heart subscribed, without wonder, to a predilection in favour of Camilla, was maternally disturbed for her other children, and felt her justice sensibly shocked at a blight so unmerited to the hopes cherished by Indiana and Clermont Linmere. Although the fruits of this change of plan would be reaped by her little darling, they were robbed of all their sweetness to a mind so correct, by their undeserved bitterness towards the first expectants. Sir Hugh, however, was immovable. He would provide handsomely, he said, for Indiana and Clermont, by settling a thousand pounds a year between them, and he would bequeath capital legacies amongst the rest of his nephews and nieces. But as to the bulk of his fortune, it should all go to Camilla— for how else could he make her amends for having amused him, or how, when he was gone, should he prove to her he loved her the best? Sir Hugh could keep nothing secret. Camilla was soon informed of the riches she was destined to inherit, and servants, who now with added respect attended her, took frequent opportunities of impressing her with the expectation by the favours they begged from her in reversion. The happy young heiress heard them with little concern. Interest and ambition could find no room in a mind which to dance, sing, and play could enliven to rapture. Yet the continued repetition of requests soon made the idea of patronage familiar to her. 
and though wholly uninfected with one thought of power or consequence she sometimes regaled her fancy with the presents she should make amongst her friends designing a coach for her mamma that she might oftener go abroad a horse for her brother lionel which she knew to be his most passionate wish a new bureau with a lock and key for her eldest sister lavinia innumerable trinkets for her cousin indiana dolls and toys without end for her little sister eugenia and a new library of new books finely bound and gilt for her papa but these munificent donations looked forward to no other date than the anticipation of womanhood if a hint were surmised of her surviving her uncle an impetuous shower of tears damped all her gay schemes deluged every airy castle and showed the instinctive gratitude which kindness can awaken even in the unthinking period of earliest youth in those bosoms it has ever the power to animate her ensuing birthday upon which she would enter her tenth year was to announce to the adjoining country her uncle's splendid plan in her favour her brother and sisters were invited to keep it with her at Cleves, but Sir Hugh declined asking either her father or mother that his own time, without restraint, might be dedicated to the promotion of her festivity. He even requested of Miss Margland that she would not appear that day, lest her presence should curb the children's spirits. The gay little party, consisting of Lavinia, who was two years older, and Eugenia, who was two years younger than Camilla, with her beautiful cousin, who was exactly of her own age, her brother Lionel, who counted three years more, and Edgar Mandelbert, a ward of Mr. Tyrold's, all assembled at Cleves upon this important occasion at eight o'clock in the morning to breakfast. Edgar Mandelbert, an uncommonly spirited and manly boy, now thirteen years of age, was heir to one of the finest estates in the county. He was the only son of a bosom friend of Mr. Tyrold, to whose guardianship he had been consigned almost from his infancy, and who superintended the care of his education with as much zeal, though not as much o-economy, as that of his own son. He placed him under the tuition of Dr. Marchmont, a man of consummate learning, and he sent for him to Etherington twice in every year, where he assiduously kept up his studies by his own personal instructions. "'I leave him rich, my dear friend,' said his father, when on his deathbed he recommended him to Mr. Tyrold, "'and you, I trust, will make him good, and see him happy. "'And should hereafter a daughter of your own, from frequent intercourse, become mistress of his affections, "'do not oppose such a union from a disparity of fortune, which a daughter of yours, and of your incomparable partners, "'could hardly fail to counterbalance in merit.' Mr. Tyrold, though too noble to avail himself of a declaration so generous by forming any plan to bring such a connection to bear, felt conscientiously absolved from using any measures of frustration, and determined, as the young people grew up, neither to promote nor impede any rising regard. The estate of Beech Park was not all that young Mandelbert inherited. The friendship of its late owner for Mr. Tyrold seemed instinctively transfused into his breast, and he paid back the parental tenderness with which he was watched and cherished by a fondness and veneration truly filial. Whatever could indulge or delight the little set was brought forth upon this joyous meeting. Fruits, sweetmeats and cakes, cards, trinkets and blind fiddlers were all at the unlimited command of the fairy mistress of the ceremonies, but unbounded as were the transports of the jovial little group, they could scarcely keep pace with the enjoyment of Sir Hugh. He entered into all their plays, he forgot all his pains, he laughed because they laughed, and suffered his darling little girl to govern and direct him at her pleasure. She made him whiskers of cork, powdered his brown bob, and covered a thread paper with black ribbon to hang to it for a cue. She metamorphosed him into a female, accoutring him with her fine new cap, while she enveloped her own small head in his wig, and then tying the maid's apron round his waist, put a rattle into his hand, and Eugenia's doll upon his lap, which she told him was a baby that he must nurse and amuse. 
The excess of merriment thus excited spread through the whole house. Lionel called in the servants to see this comical sight, and the servants indulged their numerous guests with a peep at it from the windows. Sir Hugh, meanwhile, resolved to object to nothing, performed every part assigned him, joined in their hearty laughs at the grotesque figure they made of him, and cordially encouraged all their proceedings, assuring them he had not been so much diverted himself since his fall from his horse, and advising them with great zeal to be merry while they could. "'For you will never, my dears,' said he, "'be younger, never while you live. No more, for that matter, shall I, neither, for all I am so much older, which, in that point, makes no difference.' He grew weary, however, first, and stretching himself his full length with a prodigious yawn, "'Hey-ho!' he cried, "'Camilla, my dear, do take away poor doll, for fear I should let it slip.' The little gigglers, almost in convulsions of laughter, entreated him to nurse it some time longer, but he frankly answered, "'No, my dears, no, I can play no more now, if I'd ever so fain, for I am tired to death, which is really a pity. So you must either go out with me, my airing, for a rest to your merry little sides.' or stay and play by yourselves till I come back, which I think will put you all into fevers. But, however, nobody shall trouble your little souls with advice today. There are days enough in the years for teasing without this one. Camilla instantly decided for the airing, and without a dissentient voice, so entirely had the extreme good humour of Sir Hugh won the hearts of the little party, that they felt as if the whole of their entertainment depended upon his presence. The carriage, therefore, was ordered for the baronet and his four nieces, and Lionel and Edgar Mandelbert, at the request of Camilla, were gratified with horses. Camilla was desired to fix their route, and while she hesitated from the variety in her choice, Lionel proposed to Edgar that they should take a view of his house, park, and gardens, which were only three miles from Cleves. Edgar referred the matter to Indiana, to whose already exquisite beauty his juvenile admiration paid its most early obeisance. Indiana approved, the little heroine of the day assented with pleasure, and they immediately set out upon the happy expedition. The two boys the whole way came with offerings of wild honeysuckle and sweet briar, the grateful nosegays of all diffusing nature, to the coach windows, each carefully presenting the most fragrant to Indiana, for Lionel, even more than sympathising with Edgar, declared his sisters to be mere frights in comparison with his fair cousin. Their partiality, however, struggled vainly against that of Sir Hugh, who still, in every the most trivial particular, gave the preference to Camilla. The baronet had ordered that his own garden chair should follow him to young Mandelbert's park, that he might take Camilla by his side and go about the grounds without fatigue, the rest were to walk. Here, Indiana received again the homage of her two young beaux, they pointed out to her the most beautiful prospects, they gathered her the fairest flowers, they loaded her with the best and ripest fruits. This was no sooner observed by Sir Hugh than hastily stopping his chair, he called after them aloud. "'Hello, come hither, my boys. Hear you, Mr. Young Mandelbert. What are you all about? Why don't you bring that best bunch of grapes to Camilla?' "'I have already promised it to Miss Linmere, sir.' "'Oh, ho, have you so? Well, give it her, then, if you have. I have no right to rob you of your choice. Indiana, my dear, how do you like this place?' "'Very much indeed, uncle. I never saw any place I liked so much in my life.' "'I am sure else,' said Edgar. "'I should never care for it again myself.' "'I could look at it forever,' cried Indiana, "'and not be tired.' Sir Hugh gravely paused at these speeches, and regarded them in turn with much steadiness, as if settling their future destinies, but ever unable to keep a single thought to himself, he presently burst forth aloud with his new mental arrangement, saying, 
"'Well, my dears, well, this is not quite the thing I had taken a fancy to in my own private brain, but it's all for the best, there's no doubt. Though the estate being just in my neighbourhood would have made it more suitable for Camilla, I mean provided we could have bought among us the odd three miles between the parks, which how many acres they make I can't pretend to say without the proper calculations, but if it was all joined it would be the finest domain in the county, as far as I know to the contrary.' "'Nevertheless, my dear young Mr. Mandelbert, you have a right to choose for yourself, for as to beauty, tis mere fancy, not but what Indiana has one or other the prettiest face I ever saw, though I think Camilla's so much prettier, I mean in point of winningness. However, there's no fear as to my consent, for nothing can be a greater pleasure to me than having two such good girls, both being cousins, live so near that they may overlook one another from park to park all day long by the mode of a telescope.' Edgar, perfectly understanding him, blushed deeply, and, forgetting what he had just declared, offered his grapes to Lavinia. Indiana, conceiving herself already mistress of so fine a place, smiled with approving complacency, and the rest were too much occupied with the objects around them to listen to so long a speech. They then all moved on, but soon after, Lionel, flying up to his uncle's chair, informed Camilla he had just heard from the gardener that only half a mile off at Northwick there was a fair, to which he begged she would ask to go. She found no difficulty in obliging him, and Sir Hugh was incapable of hesitating at whatever she could desire. The carriage and the horses for the boys were again ordered, and to the regret of only Edgar and Indiana, the beautiful plantations of Beech Park were relinquished for the fair. They had hardly proceeded twenty yards when the smiles that had brightened the face of Lavinia, the eldest daughter of Mr. Tyrold, were suddenly overcast, giving place to a look of dismay, which seemed the effect of some abruptly painful recollection— and the moment Sir Hugh perceived it and inquired the cause, the tears rolled fast down her cheeks, and she said she had been guilty of a great sin, and could never forgive herself. They all eagerly endeavoured to console her, Camilla fondly taking her hand, little Eugenia sympathetically crying over and kissing her, Indiana begging to know what was the matter, and Sir Hugh holding out to her the finest peach from his stores for Camilla, and saying, "'Don't cry so, my dear, don't cry. Take a little bit of peach. I dare say you are not so bad as you think for.' The weeping young penitent besought leave to get out of the coach with Camilla, to whom alone she could explain herself. Camilla almost opened the door herself to hasten the discovery, and the moment they had run up a bank by the roadside, "'Tell me what it is, my dear Lavinia,' she cried, "'and I am sure my uncle will do anything in the world to help you.' "'Oh, Camilla,' she answered, "'I have disobeyed Mamma, and I did not mean it in the least, but I have forgot all her commands.' She charged me not to let Eugenia stir out from Cleves because of the smallpox, and she has been already at Beech Park, and now how can I tell the poor little thing she must not go to the fair? Don't vex yourself about that, cried Camilla, kindly kissing the tears off her cheeks, for I will stay behind and play with Eugenia myself, if my uncle will drive us back to Beech Park, and then all the rest may go to the fair and take us up again in the way home. With this expedient she flew to the coach, charging the two boys who, with great curiosity, had ridden to the bankside and listened to all that had passed, to comfort Lavinia. Lionel cried Edgar, do you know, while Camilla was speaking so kindly to Lavinia, I thought she looked almost as pretty as your cousin. Lionel would by no means subscribe to this opinion, but Edgar would not retract. Camilla, jumping into the carriage, threw her arms around the neck of her uncle and whispered to him all that had passed. "'Poor innocent little dear!' cried he. "'Is that all? It's just nothing, considering her young age.' Then, looking out of the window, "'Lavinia,' he said, "'you have done no more harm than what's quite natural, "'and so I shall tell your mamma, who is a woman of sense, "'and won't expect such a young head as yours "'to be of the same age as hers and mine. "'But come into the coach, my dear. "'We'll just drive as far as Northwick for an airing, and then back again.' 
the extreme delicacy of the constitution of eugenia had hitherto deterred mrs tyrold from inoculating her she had therefore scrupulously kept her from all miscellaneous intercourse in the neighbourhood but as the weakness of her infancy was now promising to change into health and strength she meant to give to that terrible disease its best chance and the only security it allows from perpetual alarm immediately after the heats of the present autumn should be over lavinia unused to disobedience could not be happy in practising it she entreated therefore to return immediately to cleves sir hugh complied premising only that they must none of them expect him to be of their play-party again till after dinner the coachman then received fresh orders but the moment they were communicated to the two boys lionel protesting he would not lose the fare said he should soon overtake them and regardless of all remonstrances put spurs to his horse and galloped off sir hugh looking after him with great alarm exclaimed now he is going to break all his bones which is always the case with those young boys when first they get a horseback camilla terrified that she had begged this boon requested that the servant might directly ride after him yes my dear if you wish it answered sir hugh only we have but this one man for us all because of the rest staying to get the ball and supper ready so that if we should be overturned ourselves he is never a soul to pick us up edgar offered to ride on alone and persuade the truant to return thank you my dear thank you answered sir hugh you are as good a boy as any i know but in point of horsemanship one's as ignorant as t'other as far as i can tell so we may only see both your skulls fractured instead of one in the midst of your galloping which god forbid for either then let us all go together cried indiana and bring him back but do not let us get out of the coach uncle said lavinia pray do not let us get out sir hugh agreed though he added that as to the smallpox he could by no means see it in the same light for he had no notion of people's taking diseases upon themselves besides continued he she will be sure to have it when her time comes whether she is moped up or no and how did people do before these new modes of making themselves sick of their own accord pitying however the uneasiness of lavinia when they came near the town he called to the footman and said hark ye jacob do you ride on first and keep a sharp lookout that nobody has the smallpox the fair being held in the suburbs they soon arrived at some straggling booths and the coach at the instance of lavinia was stopped indiana now earnestly solicited leave to alight and see the fair and edgar offered to be her esquire sir hugh consented but desired that lavinia and camilla might be also of the party lavinia tried vainly to excuse herself he assured her it would raise her spirits and bid her be under no apprehension for he would stay and amuse the little eugenia himself and take care that she came to no harm they were no sooner gone however than the little girl cried to follow sir hugh compassionately kissing her owned she had as good a right as any of them and declared it was a hard thing to have her punished for other people's particularities this concession served only to make her tears flow the faster till unable to bear the sight he said he could not answer to his conscience the vexing such a young thing and promising she should have whatever she liked if she would cry no more he ordered the coachman to drive to the first booth where there were any toys to be sold here having no footman to bring the trinkets to the coach he alighted and suffering the little girl for whom he had not a fear himself to accompany him he entered the booth and told her to take whatever hit her fancy for she should have as many playthings as she could carry her grief now gave way to ecstasy and her little hands could soon scarcely sustain the loaded skirt of her white frock sir hugh determining to make the rest of the children equally happy was selecting presents for them all when the little group ignorant whom they should encounter advanced towards the same booth but he had hardly time to exclaim oh have you caught us when the innocent voice of eugenia calling out little boy what's the matter with your face little boy drew his attention another way and he perceived a child apparently just recovering from the smallpox 
Edgar, who at the same instant saw the same dreaded sight, darted forward, seized Eugenia in his arms, and in defiance of her playthings and her struggles, carried her back to the coach, while Lavinia, in an agony of terror, ran up to the little boy and, crying out, "'Oh, go away, go away!' dragged him out of the booth and, perfectly unconscious what she did, covered his head with her frock and held him fast with both her hands. Sir Hugh, all aghast, hurried out of the booth, but could scarce support himself from emotion, and while he leaned upon his stick, ejaculating, "'Lord, help us! What poor creatures we are, we poor mortals!' Edgar had the presence of mind to make Indiana and Camilla go directly to the carriage. He then prevailed with Sir Hugh to enter it also, and ran back for Lavinia. But when he perceived the situation into which distress and affright had driven her, and saw her sobbing over the child, whom she still held confined, with an idea of hiding him from Eugenia, he was instantly sensible of the danger of her joining her little sister. Extremely perplexed for them all, and afraid, by going from the sick child, he might himself carry the infection to the coach, he sent a man to Sir Hugh to know what was to be done. Sir Hugh, totally overset by the unexpected accident, and conscience-struck at his own willful share in risking it, was utterly helpless, and could only answer that he wished young Mr. Edgar would give him his advice. Edgar, thus called upon, now first felt the abilities which his short life had not hitherto brought into use. He begged Sir Hugh would return immediately to Cleves, and keep Eugenia there for a few days with Camilla and her cousin, while he undertook to go himself in search of Lionel, with whose assistance he would convey Lavinia back to Etherington, without seeing her little sister, since she must now be as full of contagion as the poor object who had just had the disease. Sir Hugh, much relieved, sent him word he had no doubt he would become the first scholar of the age, and desired he would get a chaise for himself and Lavinia, and let the footman take charge of his horse. He then ordered the coach to Cleves. Edgar fulfilled the injunctions of Sir Hugh with alacrity, but had a very difficult task to find Lionel, and one far more painful to appease Lavinia, whose apprehensions were so great as they advanced towards Etherington, that, to soothe and comfort her, he ordered the postillion to drive first to a farmhouse near Cleves whence he forwarded a boy to Sir Hugh, with entreaties that he would write a few lines to Mrs. Tyrold in exculpation of her sorrowing daughter. Sir Hugh complied, but was so little in the habit of writing, that he sent over a messenger to desire they would dine at the farmhouse, in order to give him time to compose his epistle. Early in the afternoon he conveyed to them the following letter. To Mrs. Tyrold at the parsonage house, belonging to the Reverend Rector Mr. Tyrold, for the time being, at Etherington in Hampshire. Dear Sister, I am no remarkable good writer, in comparison with my brother, which you will excuse from my deficiencies, as it is my only apology. I beg you will not be angry with little Lavinia, as she did nothing in the whole business except wanting to do right, only not mentioning it in the beginning, which is very excusable in the light of a fault, the wisest of us having been youths ourselves once, and the most learned being subject to do wrong, but how much so the ignorant, of which I may speak more properly." However, as she would certainly have caught the smallpox herself, except from the lucky circumstance of having had it before, I think it best to keep Eugenia a few days at Cleves for the sake of her infection. Not but what if she should have it, I trust your sense won't fret about it, as it is only in the course of nature, which, if she had been inoculated, is more than any man could say, even a physician. So the whole being my own fault, without the least meaning to offend, if anything comes of it, I hope, my dear sister, you won't take it ill, especially of poor little Lavinia, for it is hard if such young things may not be happy at their time of life, before having done harm to a human soul. Poor dears, tis soon enough to be unhappy after being wicked, which God knows we are all liable to be in the proper season. I beg my love to my brother, and remain, dear sister, your affectionate brother, Hugh Tyrold. 
"'Yes, it is but justice to my brother to mention that young Master Mandelbert's behaviour has done the greatest honour to the classics, which must be a great satisfaction to a person having the care of his education.' The rest of the day lost all its delights to the young heiress from this unfortunate adventure. The deprivation of three of the party, with the well-grounded fear of Mrs. Tyrold's just blame, were greater mortifications to those that remained than even the ball and supper could remove. And Sir Hugh, to whom their lowered spirits were sufficiently depressing, had an additional, though hardly to himself acknowledged, weight upon his mind relative to Eugenia and the smallpox. The contrition of the trembling Lavinia could not but obtain from Mrs. Tyrold the pardon it deserved, but she could make no allowance for the extreme want of consideration in Sir Hugh, and anxiously waited the time when she might call back Eugenia from the management of a person whom she considered as more childish than her children themselves. End of chapter 2